Welcome to Think Life. Welcome to Think Life. It's episode 13, and today we have a special treat for you. It's not just me droning on and on and on about being a better human, but we've got a special guest on today. It's Coach Maya from CoachMaya.com, and we have a really nice wide-ranging conversation uh, talking about team development, talking about motivation, talking about Human development, personal development, it's its a, a great talk, uh, so strap yourselves in and come along for the ride. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and, and uh, where you come from. So I've been born and raised in Morocco, and so it's a Mediterranean country, and it's always about the people, and the family time is quite um, important, mm-hmm. and it's at the center of the life, and as in regard to my career, I started working quite early, uh, quite young, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I started in operations before shifting to talent acquisition and recruiting because I got to ask questions all the time mm-hmm. to people and meet people and get to know them. And when I moved to the U.S., I've discovered that actually there are a lot of challenges when it comes to teams and how the behavior impact people. I already started using uh, certain tools when I was in talent acquisition uh, to have great fits between individuals and teams and hiring managers. But I just decided to take it a little bit further um, mm-hmm. and start working mainly with teams and help them align behaviors mm-hmm. and values um, so they can create a thriving work environment for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of stress in our daily lives, and it's really important to know our values, what we're looking for, what we are expecting, and um, find a place where we can just thrive. So how much of your how much of your personality do you think is based on your the culture that you grow up in as opposed to what you're born with? I think it's a huge part. So we're born uh, with some of it, but most of our value system is shaped early on. And it's shaped because of our family, our friends, the culture. And there is what we call um, low context cultures and high context uh, cultures. Mm-hmm. And when you see people coming from countries with um, either one, you just see how there is this group behavior. And it's quite amazing how you will find certain references uh, that are quite acceptable in one culture and not the other one. Mm-hmm. And today we're all working and interacting globally. So we have a lot of miscommunication due to that part only without adding anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So, so how do you, how do you get these cultures to mesh then? Because I mean, 
we in the past we've all been sort of in sort of tri- our our own tribes and our own countries and everything and like you say that we're now in a global a global situation how do you get these cultures to match up i mean how do if culture if culture a and culture b are completely different how do you get these people to work together so this is when the values come in play uh we're all different and we have people who are coming from completely different backgrounds, but we still get along pretty well, mainly because of the values that we share. This is why we meet someone and we get along really quickly. We recognize certain values that the other person has. So when you have a culture A and a culture B that are quite different, mm-hmm. so the behaviors might be different, but then we all have values and we have behavioral dimensions. The key is to accept and be open-minded about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and just realize that we are all different and that what makes our interactions um, quite wonderful because it always gives us room to grow and to learn more. So acceptance and being open-minded are the most important thing. I'll give you a quick um, story. Mm -hmm. I've worked in different um, countries and so I'm a Dutranian and my first, the first company I worked for was a German company. Mm-hmm. So of course you have me Dutranian where we speak a lot all at the same time. And I get to this meeting and the first thing that I did is I just took a step back and I observed. So I realized that everyone, they were taking turns to talk, which is for me was quite unusual, but I didn't talk and I just asked during the break, oh, okay, this is how we do it back home. Uh, now I've seen that you're taking turns. Can you tell me a little bit more about why? Is there a reason? So I was trying to see things from their perspective and understand what motivates that part. Mm-hmm. And once you start asking questions and getting to the point where you're listening, observing, and understanding the differences, it just changes the way you interact with people. Yeah, absolutely right. And I feel exactly the same way because my background is Greek and also Mediterranean. So we did the same thing. We, you know, uh, interject into conversations. We talk over each other. We don't, uh, we have these kind of conversations and no one gets offended by it. But then when you move to these different cultures, which have these other ways of communicating, then you do need to have that observational step at the beginning where you're trying to suss out exactly how these people are communicating. They'll figure out how they communicate. And then, I mean, a lot of people have said this before, like Anthony Robbins, et cetera, who says, uh, you need to change your method of communication to match what they, how they're communicating so that you can actually be on the same level. Otherwise, if you don't do that, then you're talking across purposes and it'll never get anywhere. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. And what I want to touch a little bit upon the point you mentioned earlier where you're talking about acceptance and that kind of leads me towards uh, tolerance too right so you need to be tolerant of other cultures that you're working with and how do you work on that how do you work on that with someone who is say maybe a little less uh, accepting of other cultures how do you get them to sort of open up and be a little bit more open-minded which is not just for you know cultural fit and 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 being able to work with other people, but also helps in in you know being more innovative and coming and being more creative. So how do you how do you sort of reach into somebody who's a little more closed-minded like that and help them open up? So usually we tend to see the word as 
not as it is, but as we are. So when I have to interact and work with people, more I would say our challenge, uh, I just explain it from a perspective standpoint. So we do an exercise where uh, I have this picture where actually it's quite funny because you ask people, what do you see? And everyone is telling you, oh, I see apples. I see someone reading a book. I see a book Mm -hmm. and I see this and I see that, which is a very common exercise to do in workshops. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, okay, so this is your perspective. This is your vision of the world. Now, if you just open a little bit more your options and look again at the picture, what do you see? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, there is a face. So the whole landscape on that picture represents a face mm-hmm. that often people don't even see it because they're just focused on their perspective. I'm yeah. asking them what, what's the first thing you're seeing? Like, oh, I'm seeing this, this or that. And from there, we transition to explaining how changing perspective and looking at the bigger picture, not only work-wise, but the bigger picture. Hey, we're all human beings. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not that different as yep. beings. We have different perspective. We have different behaviors. We have different personalities, uh, different backgrounds. But at the end of the day, we're all just human beings mm-hmm. and we have something in common. So once you change the perspective, they realize that there is a lot more to it and that that exercise can apply to a lot of things. And they start learning how to make the shift. And a great thing to do when you're feeling that you're in a situation or like, oh, this is my comfort zone. This is how I know things are or this is how I see things. We all have someone in our environment who's quite different from us. And just step up back for a second and ask yourself how this other person would see it mm-hmm. from their perspective. Right. And usually from an innovation standpoint, it's amazing because the cognitive diversity is important. When you start seeing things from the same perspective, you can never innovate. Yeah. Um, it creates group you know, group thinking syndrome and all that good things. The biases are kind of enforced. So when you start having cognitive diversity and shifting your perspective and your perception, just by asking yourself, oh, if this person was to do that or see this, what they, what are they seeing? It just changes. Right. So it's interesting. I love the phrase that you said, the world is as we are, not how it is. And that kind of leads me towards where does competitive nature fit in? Because a lot of times people are, the reason why people aren't sort of looking at other cultures and saying, oh, let's 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 see if we can figure out how to work with this person is because they're being competitive. They're going to say, well, I want to show off, you know, it's the ego. I want to show off how great my intelligence is. I want to show off how smart I am. I want to show off all of this stuff to this group. So they sort of just leap in and they and and they just sort of steamroll over everybody to try and get them to realize that, hey, you know, I'm really intelligent. I'm really smart and I can really do well in this group as opposed to sort of sitting back 
and doing that observational, let's put your ego on the back burner for a second, do that observation to see how best I would fit into that group and how this would work before doing that kind of leaping. So how do you deal with those kind of those kind of people who basically want to are very competitive and want to show off to the rest of the group how great they are? So usually when I'm building teams, I would pair them up with someone who's more people focused because the people you just described are very task oriented mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're in there for the win. Right. So, uh, and it's people that you see if you, we were, were talking about, um, work environment, they will just go for it. They will think later about how things can be done properly, right. but they will just go for it and they think later. So I would pair them up with someone who's people focused with a slower pace. Mm-hmm. So it creates a balance. Mm-hmm. And we we have everyone has four behavioral dimensions. So the dominance, the influence, the stability, and the cautiousness. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, the individuals you described would fall under the high D category. Uh, so very fast paced, uh, very task oriented, goal oriented, result oriented. Mm-hmm. If you pair them up with a high eye, things won't go probably that well. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, the eyes are, they're, they're the influencers. So they're very yeah. creative. Yeah. They're also fast paced, but they tend to be more involved on the people side. Right. So those are the people who will just, you know, in a meeting, tell you, hey, I have this great idea, but they won't follow through right. or they won't implement it. And then you have the the S, which is the stability, who are people that you will find um, in meetings, you know, observing, making sure that everyone is getting along, everything is running smoothly. They think about things from different perspective and they're at a slower pace. Mm-hmm. Then you have... The cautiousness who are people who are very structured. They need a framework and they're also very slow paced. Right. So, and you have interactions. Uh, the nature of the situation sometimes requires using a certain behavior. Like if you have to make a decision on the spot, uh, because it's urgent, uh, you cannot gather all the facts like a high C would do, for mm-hmm. example. So mm-hmm. you need to use your D dimension. And, you have those pairings that would work great because they just um, come in balance. Right. The other. Because, for example, if you put a, a C and an S, yeah, they will get along just fine. They will make sure that it's high quality work, but often it's going to take forever <laughs> because they're very slow paced. Right. So this is something that you. When people are building teams, we're just human beings. We tend to hire people who are like us because right. it's easier. Yeah. But then, you know, as I said um, earlier, you will find that, hey, we're all thinking the same way. We are seeing things from the same perspective. And at some point, you know, there is absolutely nothing. You have a routine. You cannot innovate because you're in the comfort zone. Right. Right. So exactly. when you... When you're building a team, always keep in mind that, okay, we need to have different backgrounds, but we also need to have the cognitive and diversity. And mm-hmm. um, from a behavioral standpoint, 
people who are co- completing each other and creating a balance, a balanced group. So if you are a high D or a high I or a high S, just make sure that in your team you have people. So that way everything can get done and done properly. And at some point from the creativity um, aspect, it's just you will have enough challenge to keep it going all the time, which is quite important because right. people will question what you're doing. Oh, no, you had this idea, but, you know, I'm seeing it differently. Maybe we should try this way. And it just keep, it keeps things going. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people think that they should just go with whatever team they have. Right. Instead of creating special purpose teams based on what they're trying to do. Because I've seen that before where it's like, oh, you know, here's a team that's highly analytical and highly technical. Now go off and be creative. Right. You just you just give them the wrong team, the wrong task. And then you wonder why they don't they don't deliver. They don't perform. Yes. Yeah. So how how do you how how would you do that then if you're. If you're, let's say you have a department, right? Let's say you, you have a department of researchers and suddenly somebody comes down and says, here's a creative task, but you've got a bunch of, of analytical people doing it. So how, do, how would you revise that team so that you would open it up so that they could actually be successful at doing something creative? So first of all, uh, we all have, uh, we, we react or we behave in the way we are expecting our environment um, or actually we're behaving the way we think our environment is expecting us to behave. So mm-hmm. when you have a team of researchers, you know, maybe you have someone who's actually very artsy and creative, but because he's working in a lab, he knows that he's not expected to be, you know, artsy and creative. creative. Yeah. Yeah. So he will just suppress that part when he is at work. So to go back to your example, what I would do is interview the actual team and see who do I have in that team that can take the lead. Mm-hmm. If you're bringing someone from the outside, it might work. Often it doesn't work, and I'm sure you know that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I would just interview the team that is already in place, see who got that creative side, that mm-hmm. innovative side? I'm like, okay, so now this is what we're trying to achieve and get the whole team involved. Because once this person who's part of the team is taking the lead on the project, what would happen is if they don't feel like they're up to the task, it would be a lot easier to convince, oh, then we need to bring someone from the outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and things. So the process is a little bit longer. But often what would happen is you bring someone from the outside because you're trying to go faster and then the whole team implodes and you start hiring other people to replace the people that left and you just end up with, you know, losing a lot of time, a lot of money. And where it's just easier to start from the inside out. Yeah. Yeah. And often you will have at least one or two people who can actually do it and be great at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking is that. I think what happens is that we don't, and I remember listening to, I don't know if you saw that interview with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, that really long interview that they had on YouTube. 
And one of the things that Elon Musk, Musk said during the, the interview, at the very, very end, he said, we have to give people more credit, right? Give people more credit. Because I think a lot of times we think people are just sort of in the slot that we put them in, and that's all that they can do. But I think human beings are way more flexible than that. And if there's someone who's super analytical, you're right. Maybe they do have a hobby where they're super creative and artistic. Um, I think all human beings have those sides to them. It's just that, like you say, I mean, they're only showing whatever side they need to perform the task, right? So I think if you, like you're saying, tap into that other side that most humans have and and bring that to the forefront so that they can use it on the new task they have. So that's why I think that when we talk about when we talk about work and the future of work and things like that and people are like, oh, you know, all these people are going to lose their jobs, etc. But the fact is is that a lot of jobs that are out there are really mechan mechanistic, right? They're almost better that a, a um, an automation does it because it's not really a good job for a human being to do. Human beings have so much capacity that you know, they kind of dumb themselves down to do a lot of work. So, I mean, do you believe that, that humans, like, have tons of capacity and they're just under being underutilized right now? It's not, I think. I know it because I'm seeing it every day. Right, uh, right. And you have people, um, you know, we have those um, stereotypes where everyone is telling you, oh, you know, accountants should be like this or they are like this. And... Um, engineers, since we are in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> yep. like that. Um, finance people are like that. Uh, marketing and PR people are like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you said, we're a lot more complex. So when you're working, you're just showing a tiny fraction of what you can actually do. Yeah. Mainly because you suppress so much to fit in that box where you're put because of your job title. Yep. Yep. So one of the things I love, um, when I meet people, uh, to get a, you know, a real interaction, um, and I'm sure you, I mean, you live here too. And when you meet people, the first question they ask you is like, Oh, what do you do? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, the answer is often people tell you their job title. So yes. I always ask people, what do you do? And it's amazing because they start talking. I'm like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not done yet. What do you do for fun? Yeah. <laughs> and then you just have this reaction like, I beg your pardon. And I say, what do you do for fun? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we all work. That's, yeah. but I want to learn more about you. So yeah. what do you do for fun? Yeah. And it, it changes the whole interaction. And I see sides of people that are probably not very public mm -hmm. or um, easily reachable when they're interacting with other people. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, just ask people what they do for fun, not what they do for a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's so lovely. <laughs> you can see something different. Yeah. Was it a North American thing? Because I know, uh, you know, you ask like a Finn and say, what do you do? They'll say, oh, I play tennis or I, you know, I, I go, I, you know, bike ride or something like that. But you ask a North American, they're going to they're going to give you their job title. It's like, oh, I'm an engineer or whatever. So is that that's that's a cultural thing, too, right? I mean, absolutely. Hmm. 
because and it's also the language because yeah. for example in French if you, you you want to ask someone what they do for a living you literally can say that mm-hmm. in, in in Arabic is the same Spanish tiny bit different but yeah in English we, when you say what do you do depending on where you are but mostly it's they will give you their job title yeah yeah well North mostly, America yeah. definitely that's what they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how do we how do we bring that out then? Because people, I see, this is the other thing. I mean, on the flip side, you know, everyone's talking about you know everyone needs to be their more authentic self, right? But then in your typical job description, it's like, well, I don't really care about what you do for fun. I just care that you're going to perform. I mean, shouldn't we be more cognizant of people's more well-rounded abilities than we do what we normally pull out of them during a job? So we need to focus on how their values are aligned with what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Because skill set, you have, usually when you're hiring someone, you have at least, let's say, four or five candidates with the perfect or the right skill set. Now, one will be more performant and will fit better, not because of the skill set, but because of the cognitive part of it. Mm-hmm. What are his values? How does he or she see things, and so on? So, and you talked about job description, and it's amazing because, uh, as I mentioned, I worked in talent acquisition, mm-hmm. and when I moved to the U.S. and I read job description, I'm like, oh, they're actually looking for two profiles, right? <laughs> two completely different people, in the same, in the same one, and I'm like, I mean, unless the person is, I don't know. They have been working for 25 years. They cannot, or 30 years, they cannot be like that. Mm-hmm. And even though usually it's two different profiles. And that's why you have a lot of turnover. Yep. Because the focus is only on the skill set. And I get the point that you need someone who's, you know, will j- jump right in and go for it and deliver and be performant. But on the other side, people like that don't stay. And when you are trying to build something, uh, when you're trying to innovate, it is important that people stay a certain amount of time because you're building. So uh, let's say you hire an engineer mm-hmm. because, you know, he has all he checked all the boxes from a technical standpoint. Yeah. You're trying to build something new. He joins or she joins and they stay for six months and they leave and you replace them. The thing is you still have to do another six months just to get the new one up to speed. So your project is delayed technically by six months just because you didn't make sure that, hey, this person is amazingly good. They have a great skill set, um, great experience. But will they fit? And are they willing to work on the project? Mm-hmm. See, I'd rather personally, when I was building my teams, I'd rather have someone that is not perfect technically, then, um, but passionate about what we're doing, um, that share um, the group values and sees things um the same way which is it's all about 
challenges and open communication. Right. Then someone who has great skills and, you know, it's the kind of resumes when you see them, you're thinking I need to hire him or hire her. Yeah. Yeah. But if they don't have, I prefer having someone who doesn't have that kind of resume, but the right values, the right attitude, the right behavior, uh, because I know that I can build on that. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of this, I mean, not to go down the rabbit hole of uh, talent acquisition, but there's lots of mismatch in that space, right? Because you've got people just looking for the technical skills as opposed to the ability to, um, you know, work with, work in the team and expand their knowledge, et cetera. Because if you say, oh, I have X amount of JavaScript and I have X amount of this and I have X amount of that, and then people are just looking at those skills as opposed to the more soft skills of being able to, you know, cognitively expand what you're trying to do and, and problem solving and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing that myself, but I mean, I, obviously you're seeing it too. Yes, the, the soft skills are often um, left on the side, but they are actually what would define if it will be a great team or not. Right. That's my take on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's sit back a little bit and go a little higher level and just talk about humans in general. So, I mean, one of the things that was interesting about this is that now that we've started, I've started, so this podcast was started off with doing sort of monologues of being a better human from my perspective, and now we're starting to bring in coaches and other opinions. And I was talking to another gentleman the other day who was uh, big in OD, right, organizational development. And he said, well, you know what, you've got to actually step back even further and say to yourself, when you say you're trying to be a better human, what exactly does the word human mean, right? What, what is a good human? I mean, have we even dis determined or decided what a good person is yet? And if we have, have we figured out how, how people can get there? Have you got any thoughts on that? So a good person uh, is always defined by the culture. See, because we need uh, a reference. Mm -hmm. That's why certain behaviors are accepted, rewarded in certain cultures, and they will be very offensive in another one. Mm -hmm. So we always need to keep that in mind where we're interacting as human beings. Always, okay, what's good for me is not necessarily good for another person. And a good, my perception of a good person might be completely different. So we have the basics like, okay, but everyone is raised that way. I mean, almost everyone. Uh, don't steal, don't lie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is what I call the a platinum rule. So um, I was attending a seminar that was hosted by... Um, a great coach. Uh, her name is um, Shadia Biskiwi. And she had this amazing saying, like, oh, you know, there's the golden rule that is uh, called treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. See, that would make you a good person. Yeah. But she had what she called the platinum rule. Mm -hmm. Treat people like they need to be treated. Ah, so for me, a good person is the one who would see how a per another human being needs to be treated, how they are, who they are, mm -hmm. and act accordingly. Right. For me, that's a good 
person. And we all have different needs. So if I treat you the way I want to be treated, that might be at the total opposite side. Right. So I, I need to see or perceive uh, what do you need, how do you need to be treated, and go from there. Right. Which requires a lot of empathy. And now, um, as as you know, it's all about empathy, uh, and it's a, use, it's a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I think quite lightly, because it, it requires a lot to understand what people need, and you re- you need to put yourself out there to do so. Well, what's interesting is that how do you then how do you build that empathy? Because I mean, I can completely understand that as a requirement. How do you build it though? I mean, there's people out there who I mean, there's plenty of those psychological tests that tell you how much empathy how much empathy you have. I think there's people out there who have very little. How do they build it? How do they add more empathy to their lives? It will take a lot of time, but empathy is just asking questions. Mm-hmm. To have empathy, you need to know the person. You need to to build a relationship, and I'm talking about the people who are not, who doesn't don't have a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. Just ask questions, get to know the people, and from there, say, "What would I do if I was in their place from their perspective?" Mm-hmm. Because when we ask, "Oh, what would I do in their place?" we tend to see things from our perspective, mm-hmm. and then it's useless. Just like now, I'm asking questions, I'm seeing things the way they see it, and from there, like, how do I need to treat them? What are they expecting? But if you don't ask questions, you just don't know. Right. So you assume that what's fine for you would be fine for other people. Yeah. Well, just ask questions. That kind of leads me to this whole intersectionality debate where people are like, well, you have no idea uh, how to live in my shoes. You have no idea how to feel what I feel. So you you can't even try. So, I mean, I think that there's definitely human um, sort of, um, I don't know, paradigms that are universal across the board because this kind of leads into we're becoming more and more of a global society. Is there such a thing as a sort of global human culture which works for everybody because I think you were you were mentioning something about the, in some cultures or there's the so like an overall thinking that well people shouldn't kill people shouldn't steal people shouldn't lie but in some cultures stealing and lying is okay so <laughs> how do you I mean how do we is there such a thing as a global human culture that we're all aspiring towards and is there any way you think that we'll ever be able to get there I, I think it's starting because mm-hmm. now you start seeing behaviors in different parts of the world because of, you know, social media, everyone has access. The communication channels are more open, even though it's still at a very superficial level, mm-hmm. but it, it's pretty open right now. Right. So maybe a few decades from now, we will get to that point. But for now, you still see uh, if you travel you see that the culture, the country you're in, will define what's a good person. Right. And they have very specific expectations. Right. Uh, because you have cultures where the individual is suppressed and it's the group 
well-being that is the priority mm-hmm. whereas in other cultures no the group doesn't matter it's the individuals that should be at the center or mm-hmm. is at the center so as long as we have that and it's geographically you know uh, related you you will have different perception of what's a good person mm-hmm. yes she is here but in you know, across the globe, she's not necessarily. Uh, we'll get there, but not now. Maybe a few decades from now. Right, right. So there'll be a while yet. Once once the cultures start melding even more and more together, and then we become some kind of universal human. But what do you think about this inter- intersectionality debate when you, people say, oh, there's no way you can live in my shoes. There's no way you can feel the same way I feel. How do you feel about How do you? Th- what do you think about that? So it's literally true that you cannot feel what a person feels because mm-hmm. our emotions are also shaped by our upbringing, our previous experiences. Mm-hmm. So we don't deal with things the same way. And that's why, yes, I cannot feel what you feel, but I can understand. Right. To understand, you have to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other person uh, needs to be, you know, um, to be willing to share with you. Mm-hmm. I can literally feel, and nobody can feel what another person feels or or see things exactly the same way. Right. Because we, even uh, the example I always give is siblings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have the same parent, even technically you don't have the same parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they, they, they grow as human beings. So, and you're raised the same way, but you cannot feel and see things it's the same household right and they cannot feel the same thing because they had different experiences so they have a common reference they have common references which will kind of be the guidelines but they won't feel the same way about certain things right so yes but they can understand each other because of the common references and the way to create common references is to actually ask questions and attend to the answers mm-hmm. uh, which brings another issue everyone talks a lot and we don't listen enough uh, because we're in this mode when someone is talking we're already thinking about hey this is what I need to tell him when he's done or she's done <laughs> so <laughs> That's we're, right. we're listening to answer we're not listening just to absorb understand and then give our feedback or our answer or our comment People are talking and often we're just thinking about, oh, this is what I need to answer. We're drafting the answer in our mind or we're trying to come up with an advice if it's someone who's, you know, sharing a problem, a challenge they're facing. We're already thinking about the advice we're going to give them and we miss certain things. Right. So So I agree with the fact that, yes, you cannot feel what I feel. You cannot see the things that I see them, but we can understand each other. We just need to... Open up and listen. And how do you do? So this is, you're talking about mindful listening. So how, how do you do that? I mean, how do you build that skill if you don't have it? So the, the thing is, we, first of all, we, our brain process information a lot faster than we talk. That's why we have room to wander in when someone is talking. So the first thing is just focus all the energy on the person. 
uh, our communication, there's the body language, the actual mm. word we're saying, but you have also the voice tone. You have a lot of parameters that we kind of ignore right. just because we're, you know, thinking about what are we going to say, as I said earlier, or something uh, like the advice we're given or we're distracted by the noise around us. So when you need to have meaningful conversation, always choose a place that is quiet mm-hmm. and focus on the person. Mm. Uh, it's okay. Uh, see, in North America, people need to have an answer right away. No, it's not necessary. Listen first, absorb, think about it. And from there, you give your answer, you give your advice and, and focus on everything. Mm. Just Look at the person. Uh, what are they doing? What they, what they're trying to convey? Because sometimes you know people are talking, but their body language is sending a complete different message. Yep. But because you're distracted, you miss the whole point, or their um, tone is changing, and because you're not paying attention, you just miss that. And miscommunication starts there. Yeah. And it can go pretty bad. And I'm sure <laughs> that way. Absolutely. No, I can totally see that. Just because of miscommunication. So when you're interacting with someone, be there. Mm. Not physically, but be there. Like you listen. Um, there's a quote that say, "Hey, we have two ears in one mouth, so we can listen twice as much as we talk." Right. Or at least we should. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But that's the thing. I, I'm t- I totally agree with that because I think whenever you come into a situation, you have to really observe the situation first and you have to listen and you have to really sort of deeply understand. Because that is what I do when like, I go into a new situation where there's a new meeting with new people. Uh, I don't speak up first. I sort of sit back and I just sort of observe everyone speaking and listen to the interactions and the communications and sort of spend time thinking about things before I formulate and jump into anything. But there's all these people who are, who are more, like you say, task oriented and they go, Oh, let's do this and let's do this. And they just, and they just appear to be more dynamic than the rest of us who are, are sort of observing and then coming up with the solutions. So it's just an interesting dynamic that we see happening. So th- that, that's why, you know, um, when I, I joke about it often, I tell people, Hey, even when you have one person, know your audience, mm. Because some people, even the way that you will engage the conversation, let's say some people you need to tell them, hey, we will be discussing about this, 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 and this. So they need the structure. If you just come right in and say, oh, let's do this, they won't even listen. So it it, it starts over there. They won't make the effort because you didn't respect their frame. Mm. Their system, their communication system. Mm. So that's why I agree 100% with you. Always step back, observe what's going on around you, how people communicate. Some people uh, don't use a lot of words. Yeah. Uh, some people uh, will talk a lot, and you need to learn. When they're talking, there are certain tones, you know, oh, this is important for them. This is something just, you know, they're talking to talk. And to recognize the different styles 
to be able to engage efficiently and effectively with the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think we communicate because we talk a lot, but um, it's not really the case. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So this has been fantastic. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about more about your practice, your website, et cetera, what you focus on so that everyone out there will know what, uh, what you're working on if they want to contact you, et cetera. So I work on teams dynamics, (laughs) you know, in case it was not obvious. (laughs) (laughs) I work on teams dynamics. So I do work um, a a lot with startups mainly uh, because uh, they're facing a lot of challenges and first time founders um, often have to deal, you know, with the co-founders dynamics, which are uh, quite challenging. Uh, and the challenges of building a team and a business. So I help them at least have the right team to support their goals. Mm. Because if you don't have the right people, it just it always goes south. And uh, the, the first time I've realized that 65% of the startups, when they fail, it's because of people issues. Yeah. It's not because of funding. It's not because of that. And then I work also with larger companies, but it's always the same. It's on team dynamics. Mm -hmm. So I go in, uh, I do the behavioral assessment. We see what kind of dynamics um, are there. We're interviewing. um, And then we do a workshop. And often at the end of the workshop, I would give a recommendation to to the manager, to the leader, the CEO, and tell them, hey, today this is the landscape of your team. Maybe you need to hire more, um, you know, um, people who have abilities to implement or people who have abilities to manage. Because as I mentioned earlier, we're only human beings. We tend to hire people who are like us because it's easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I help them see things differently and say, hey, diversity, the cognitive one, uh, as all diversity is really important, uh, but you need to build it on purpose. Yeah. To be able to innovate and, and, and create, um, whatever you're trying to, to do, it's creativity and innovation is important. Yeah. So, and you need to have the right team. So this is what I do. Great. And your website? My website is, um, coachmia with the y, um, dot com. Great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to end up with, or are we all good? Thank you so much um, for for having me. I enjoyed this conversation. I can go on for hours when I talk about this. I know. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So it it, it was really great uh, that I I got a chance um, to, to talk about something that I'm really passionate about and see that there are people out there trying to do the same thing and you know bringing this um to other people because we all very focused on hey we need to be performant we need to deliver yeah sometimes we forget that hey we're just human beings and we should focus on that because that what makes us great at whatever we're trying to achieve yeah absolutely right well that's great well thank you so much thank you so much chris